0: Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't, I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Hessel & Rothenberg Barley & Messede. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. Our guest today is John Nona, and we're going to talk about uh, voter registration and voter participation. Welcome, John. Thank you for being here.
1: My pleasure to be with you, uh, Dave.
0: Uh, John Nona is uh, currently the Westchester County Attorney. He's the former mayor of Pleasantville, New York, a former Westchester County legislator. He also serves on the New York State Bar Association Special Committee on Voter Participation. And uh, John, in 1972, competed in the 1972 Summer Olympics on behalf of the United States. So, John, welcome. Um, Thank you. We're here to talk about voter registration and voter participation. John, v- voting is perhaps the most important right as a citizen that we can have. Yet in New York, we only have more than a little more than half of our el- eligible voters uh, vote in the various elections. And so uh, I'd like to talk about why that is, John, and, and uh, how we can do better. Uh, I know that there's some legislation that's being proposed in the new york state legislature Uh, but let's talk a little bit about why new york state's uh, percentage of uh, eligible voters is uh, so low amongst the lowest in the country
1: yeah new york has generally been between 46th and 49th in voter turnout uh, and it's particularly low in off-year elections and in local elections Um, and uh, part of that could be our voting procedures, uh, the fact that we don't have early voting or same-day registration. But there are probably other factors too, you know, where people don't think their vote really makes a difference. And as we know from local elections in New York, as well as elections nationally, every vote can count. There was a recent uh, election uh, where the vote, the voters, the candidates were tied. And the one candidate lost on the flip of a coin, and he failed to vote because he got to town late from a a business trip and was not able to vote. So he lost by one vote because he didn't vote for himself.
0: Well, uh, well, yeah, that's I mean, I I think that's a very instructive uh, case. Uh, The person that was running wasn't able to vote, Uh, obviously had an interest in voting, but wasn't able to get to the polls on time. And ended up losing um, because he, if he had cast that vote, he would have uh, actually been successful. What about the fact that it's so uh, that we have this, uh, you know, minimal number of hours when you can go vote? and it Especially hurts people that are working. Sometimes people that are working two jobs can't get out a way to vote. Why is it that it's we, in New York? It's such a tight time constraint to vote.
1: And, and- yeah, it's a tight time constraint, and also, depending on your polling place and how crowded it is, we've seen over the last few elections in New York City in particular, uh, very crowded um, uh, polling places with long lines, with machine breakdowns, and then, yet, 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 and again, if someone has, needs to take time off of work to go vote, it's not you know a very short period of time. It's not like a half an hour. It could be a couple of hours waiting in line to be able to vote. And um, that could be a difficulty for a lot of people that have to be at their jobs.
0: What are your thoughts, John, on having uh, the Election Day be a holiday so that everyone can go out and vote? That's, a, uh, I think, a proposal that's been uh, at least discussed in, in New York. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on how that might help voter participation? I, I
1: think it will. I think if, if people are free for that day, they've got. You know, from six in the morning till nine at night, at least in our part of the state, uh, to, to get out and vote. Um, but they have times during the day when they might not to be at home taking care of kids. Uh,
0: so, uh, what else? Uh, what else is being proposed that uh, might in- increase voter participation? Uh, I mean, we're talking about a few hours in a day where people can go out. Many states have multiple days when they can go vote uh is there any uh possibility that we might have uh, early voting in new york
1: well there has been a movement uh, the state assembly has in the past uh and legislation for early voting it's been held up in the senate now that the senate uh composition of the senate has changed uh it seems to me a lot more likely that early voting will pass The entire legislature, Senate and Assembly, and the governor has already come out in favor of early voting. uh, And actually, in one of his budgets, it was then taken out, uh, provided funding for early voting. I think early voting will help. Uh, I think there's a cost to early voting because the boards of elections of the counties will have to be open uh, and and be staffed. So I think it's important that the state fund early voting, that it not be an unfunded mandate. Upon counties who have limited, more limited resources than the state does. But I think that can help. I think, however, we need to combine early voting with same-day registration, because in addition to the people that don't who are registered and don't turn out to vote, there are people who don't register to vote. Uh, registration has become a little easier through the Department of Voting of Vehicles when someone gets a license and they can register online. Uh, but uh, same-day registration coupled with early voting, enables someone who hasn't registered to show up, register at the polling place, register with the proper documentation, and then vote on that same day. 17 states now have same-day registration. And by the way, 38 states have early voting. So New York is really behind... Uh, behind the trend of, of, uh, of voter reform.
0: So with, re- reform. with respect to early voting, there would be uh, some cost, I guess, because you'd have, the, the polls would have to be open for, you know, a, a day or two extra. Um, yeah, I think the and- discussion
1: about earlier, I think the legislation proposed about 10, 10 to 12 days of early voting before election day.
0: 10 to 12 days? Yeah, it's been that long. And uh, why would you need to have 12 days? I mean, that would seem like overkill um, uh, of uh, opportunity to vote.
1: You could limit it to the weekend, but generally many states have at least that period of time. Some states have several weeks of early voting. I see. Um, And and you can real question whether that's needed, whether that's necessary. And also, if, if early voting occurs too soon, there could be information that comes out about candidates that is right. relevant to the voter that the voter will not have because they've already voted. Will not be able to rely upon or use because they've already voted. So that's a good point you've made that you can't have too uh, too many days of early voting because if you move it back too far, information that's relevant to the candidates might not be might not be able to be used by or considered by a voter because they've already voted.
0: And, and you know, I think related to that is the issue of absentee ballots. I mean, obviously, you can vote by absentee ballot uh, uh, earlier than, than Election Day if you know that you're not going to be available. Um, is there some proposal in New York for what's called a no-excuse absentee ballot? Yeah. Or you can just you can just use an absentee absentee ballot without having any particular reason, just that it's more convenient.
1: Yeah, there have been proposals in New York, legislative proposals. Again, I think they've even been passed by the state assembly for no fault absentee ballots. Now it's important to point out with respect to same day registration and no fault uh, absentee balloting that needs to be done by constitutional amendment because right now the state constitution provides that, um, Registration has to take place at least 10 days before election day. And in fact, the election law provides for 25 days. It's even a longer period of time. So if you haven't registered now, 25 days before the election day, election day, you can't vote. Um, No fault absentee balloting also requires a constitutional amendment because under the state constitution, you need to have a reason to to, uh, seek to uh, obtain an absentee ballot. You have to be... uh, certify or swear that you're absent from the county or have an illness or another reason. Uh, so you, you have to have a reason in order to, uh, under the state constitution. So both of those uh, voting reforms, uh, same day registration and no fault absentee ballot balloting would require a state, the uh, state legislature to pass it, the people of the state to then vote on it in a referendum and uh, a proposition on the ballot, and then to the state legislature after that, to reenact it. So it's a much more complicated uh, procedure in order to achieve a constitution amendment that would allow early voting and and no fault absentee, not early voting, same-day registration and no fault absentee ballot.
0: Yeah, and as you know, John, of course, the New York State Bar Association called for uh, support of a constitutional convention two years ago. And uh, that was not supported by the voters, uh, but you can still have a constitutional amendment by two successive uh, legislatures. Um, right. And so we could get something in the legislature for same day registration and no excuse absentee ballots. It would have to pass uh, in a subsequent uh, elect subsequently elected legislature then it would go to the voters. so that's something that would take require a little bit of a long term um, yeah. Uh, effort, but certainly something that could get started, uh, I think, in in this legislature. Uh, but early voting, which you talked about before, is not uh, is something that the legislature could pass uh, right away, right?
1: Doesn't require a constitutional amendment. Right. you're Right. You
0: know the other the other uh, concern that we have, John, is how many different election days we might have in a year. I mean, you could have a, a special election because uh, a uh, an elected official resigned, then you could have uh, a primary, you could have a state primary, then you could have a federal primary, and you can have state and federal elections, you could have a, a school board or a local election that's at a different time. So you could be looking at upwards of five or six different election days. Is there any way that we could try to combine some of these voting days to, you know, uh, kind of make it a little bit easier for people so that you, when you vote, there's why can't you vote for the school board at the same time as you're voting for, you know, your legislator? Yeah,
1: that's especially a problem with respect to federal and state primaries. I mean, in New York, we, we've had the state primary occurring, uh, the, the federal primary occurring in the spring and the state primary in the fall, state primary in September, very shortly before the election. And that 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 creates a uh, a tremendous cost on board, local boards of elections that have to gear up for two separate primaries, one in the spring and one in the fall. Um, and you you have local elections, for instance, town town elections tend to be in November at the same time as the regular election day. Uh, and uh, but village elections in New York State can either be in March or in November. Uh, and the village villages can make that decision on their own whether they want to have a a, a march or or a or, a, or a November um, election day. If it's in November, Before, it would, uh, would it be
0: on election day?
1: Yes, it would be on on the regular election. Yeah, day.
0: what what would be the what's the advantage of of having it in March?
1: Well, I'll tell you as a former village mayor, there is an advantage, and that is that the voters focus on the local issues rather than get mixed up in state and national issues. Which tend to be the primary focus of the typical election day in November, when you have a state uh, statewide race or a, a state legislative races, or you have federal races. Um, so that so some village, many, a number of villages have moved to November elections, but many villages have maintained March because they believe that people will the local village residents will focus on local issues. I don't know if I can. Uh, with the situation with school boards. I know school board elections usually occur at least in Westchester in May. Mm. Uh, and people, and people, uh, voters in the school district get not only to vote for school board candidates, but unlike um, villages, towns, or cities, or the state get to vote on the school board budget. Um, and right. um, I think school boards would probably prefer to have their own election day so they can, uh, turn people out for the budget vote, which is usually – which can be contentious in, 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 in
0: school districts. Well, that's exactly right, John. I mean, um, it's kind of a like a well-kept secret, uh, some of these local <laughs> elections, and uh, it's only the motivated people that get out there, and you're really – I mean, the, the yeah. amount of turnout is, is uh, even lower than you'd have in a general election. And, you, you know, if you had it during a regular election – you would have more people voting. Perhaps they wouldn't be as inf- uh, informed across the board uh, as the motivated voters. Uh, but I think there's a question as to whether you know it's a it's more important that we uh, include more people uh, to in, in these uh, various elections, including the local elections. But let me ask you about the the federal and state primaries. Why couldn't we have? Both the federal and the state primary on the same day—that would seem to solve some certainly couldn't. Issues. I think
1: the state legislature has the ability to do that. I think the state legislature can can do that. It's uh, I think it's up to the state legislature to decide when to set both of those primary days. And I think it's for political political considerations that separated them.
0: Right. I mean, we didn't. We just have we had a candidate that was running for attorney general um yeah. that was also so he was running for state attorney general in the primary and then he lost for congress. yeah for and then he lost for attorney general and then he was able to uh then re- run again for his seat in congress right yeah
1: he did not have a primary opponent so he didn't have to worry about uh, a primary a federal primary election in the spring of 2018 but he was on the ballot for attorney general in the September um, uh, primary, state primary, and then he was on the ballot for Congress in November.
0: Right, and yeah. won so yeah, and he won. He did, and it just seems like the, you know these little um, nuances of the election law make it, uh, I think, difficult for uh, an average voter to to keep up with, and certainly, you know, makes it difficult for people that want to potentially uh, seek to run for office. Um, what do you think, John, of, uh, the, uh, voting that we have in, like, the state of Maine, where you can vote for multiple candidates, um, so you vote for... the a ranking system. Yeah, ranking. ranking. You vote for your first, your first choice, your second choice, um, and then if your first choice is someone that's, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't get a lot of support, you can go to your second choice. That seems to help these uh, smaller party candidates, like a mm. Green Party or an independent party, rather than just having the two Republican and Democrat candidates. Uh, so that if you were voting for the independent candidate, and the independent candidate uh, came in third, you're, you could you could go to your second vote, your second choice, and, and your vote wouldn't be wasted. W- what do you mm. think of uh, of that, John, and how it works in practice?
1: Admittedly, I'm not that familiar of how it works in practice. I don't know how long Maine has had that system. I think it's relatively recent, uh, a very recent uh, change to their election procedures. But I'm skeptical. I just think it's complicated.
0: It is complicated, Um, and actually it had an impact in in Maine. There was a very close uh, race for Congress. Um, One of the candidates was slightly ahead after you counted all the first place Ballots, but then um, mm. the uh, the the other candidate uh, ended up getting some more of the second place uh, ballots that were uh, utilized because uh, the in, the uh, third party candidate uh, didn't get enough votes, and then the the, the actual number two uh, ended up being successful, uh, which was uh, which was very interesting. But it it seems to provide. An opportunity, a greater opportunity for third-party candidates, uh, which obviously I, I think, I, New York I think doesn't doesn't really um, uh, have a lot of third-party candidates that have any real likelihood of success.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It does help third-party candidates. It does give someone who wants to hurt a major-party candidate, if you have say four candidates running. You rank that major party candidate last, uh, you know, and give the give high votes to independent candidates who you don't necessarily favor, but just don't want to make sure the major party candidate you're opposed to gets a lot of first-place votes or second or third-place votes so that your major party candidate that you support can get a first-place vote. So, you know, it seems like it could be manipulated in ways that that are not that, you know, not that advisable. You're Not that democratic.
0: Let's put it that way. Well, now let's talk a little bit about actually when you go to the to the voting booth. Um, there's been some changes in New York on uh, in voting, and there's perhaps ways that we can make the actual voting process more accessible to voters. Um, you know, we used to have that voting booth with the curtain, yeah. where you know it was like the Wizard of Oz, where you're the you're the man behind the curtain. And you'd vote, and now we have what, you know, it's kind of like a little standardized test that you take, uh, and it goes into the, uh, you know, digital reader. Um, Are there any other proposals out there for how we actually go about voting?
1: I'm not aware of any, although there has been a problem. You know, when you fill out this sheet, which you call like taking a fill-in-the-blanks test for the candidate. Uh, you're supposed to have a privacy screen. many polling places I've seen do not have enough of these privacy screens so people are like filling out these ballots in a very public way uh, and I think that's a, that's an issue. Um,
0: Unfortunately, Jen, nobody is copying off of mine um, so <laughs> uh,
1: and then and then of course you get to feed the ballots through the scanner yourself. You know I think New York has to pretty easy voting system, uh, as long as the machine doesn't break down or they don't run out of ballots or a, any other problems arise. Cause all you have to do is show up to your polling place in your election district, sign your name in a book, and then you're giving the ballot to fill out and then you get to scan it. So it, it works pretty efficiently. I mean, some of the problems we have in New York voting have to do with, uh, election inspectors not being that well-trained, and I, I, I think it would be advisable to have more money available for training for election workers so that they you know, they fully understand what the rules are. Um,
0: what kind of problems do we have when we have election inspectors that are not properly trained? Is that...
1: Sometimes they're not, they, they don't understand the difference between an affidavit ballot and a provisional ballot. Um, uh... Sometimes they don't give a voter. They don't understand that a voter should be given a provisional ballot simply if the voter asks for one, even if their name isn't in the book. And, uh, you know, and then we say they should be aware that we should have a way to check a, a statewide database for, for whether a vote is registered if their name isn't in the book. I'm not sure that's fully up and operational. Why, I, why would a
0: voter going to the, uh, the uh, polling place ask for a provisional ballot? Because their name, they
1: believe they've registered uh, properly to vote, and when the uh, when they present their they present themselves at the at their voting precinct, their name's not in the book as having been re- registered to vote. Uh, now that could be. We've seen problems with motor vehicle department registrations where they're not processed in time, uh, even with the 25-day period, they're not processed. So people have in fact registered, but their registration has not been properly recorded or fully processed. They would ask for a provisional ballot. Um, uh, so that's a situation where, and then what would happen is they cast a provisional ballot, and then when the ballot got returned to the ele- board of elections, they'd have to check and see whether the person actually did apply to to register to vote and what the status is of that registration process. What about the
0: issue, John? That we I think we saw in New York City and. Uh, the most recent uh, two elections where uh, people were unceremoniously just removed from uh, the voting rolls. Um, uh, What about that problem where for whatever reason people are taken off the voting rolls and then they go to the uh, polling place and their name has been removed?
1: Yeah, that problem existed in Brooklyn, I think in New York uh, several elections ago. And I'm not sure they ever fully identified the reason why it's happened. There was a lawsuit over it. Uh, It is customary for many boards of elections to purge voters who have not voted in the last, to to record voters as inactive and take them off the registration list if they haven't voted in the last two federal elections. Um, So part of the problem could have been that situation or it could have been trying to purge voters who have moved or who have passed away, but they over purged that's happened in the past. There have been situations in other states where the purging has been intentionally designed to suppress votes and right. to, um, you know, and, and to which have affected minority voters more than anyone and any other, any other voting constituency. That's particularly that happened in Georgia several years ago. The then secretary of state who, became the governor elected is now the governor of Georgia in a very hotly contested race. Um, he, he was sued several years ago for purging, uh, and then did it again this year and, um, was sued. And the purging was wrongful because it was based upon there not being an exact match between the voters registration materials and some state database to the extent where if someone had a hyphen, in their name, because a woman had taken, you know, a husband's name and kept her own name, so had a hyphenated name. And the state database did not have a hyphen, but her registration materials had a hyphen, they would purge that voter. Uh, there was one case of a professor at Emory University whose name was Del Rio. And in one set of documents, it was Dell's space and then Rio. And in the state database, uh, Maybe his driver's license had Del Rio without a space, and he was purged. Hmm. So those are egregious examples. But um, you know, the Secretary of State of Georgia, now the governor, uh, held up a number of registrations based upon uh, and didn't process them, or purged voters who were registered to vote because of a lack of uh, lack of uh, a, a, a precise match between the registration materials. Voting materials and a state database, where the you know the discrepancy was clearly a minor mistake, and even if it was a mistake, the voter wasn't given a chance to, to correct it.
0: Right, and, and in New York, um, in that instance, that's when you would take a, a provisional ballot.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's an example where if they said, "Okay, we don't have you in the book properly." Like, say, a woman who's registered under her maiden name right. GOT married, adopted her husband's name. She would, she would. Uh, she, she could uh, uh, fill in and, and file a professional, a provisional ballot.
0: John, um, there's been some talk about uh, online voting so that people actually wouldn't have to go to the polling place. You could just uh, vote online. What do you I
1: think? Some states are looking at that, but I, I think it's, you know, given what we've seen um, can happen with, Foreign state actors or even U.S. actors uh, hacking into voting systems. I think that's a dangerous trend. Um, some states have voting by mail only. Okay. Um, you know that that I think is less risky. Like Oregon and Washington have voting by mail, and I, you know that seems to have worked in those states without a lot of without any real issues of voter fraud.
0: But the online voting, you think, uh, has some <laughs> vulnerabilities that uh, we still haven't been able to overcome just yet.
1: Yeah, it there might be a way to overcome them through encryption or some you know, other protective measures. But I think it's uh, I think it's, think it would be dangerous to precipitously go to online voting.
0: Right. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, voting holidays. Uh, In some countries, there's a penalty if you don't vote. Um, Australia, right. So so that if you've got to uh, indicate that you voted maybe when you do your tax returns, and if you've not voted, you've got to pay a little bit of a fine. Um, Any thoughts on how that might work in the United States and whether that's worthwhile?
1: I think that's going too far. I think voting is certainly a right. But I don't and, and one could argue it's a responsibility, but I don't think it I don't think it should be a requirement.
0: Right. So um, what are your what are your thoughts, John, on, on the likelihood of success of uh, some of these voting provisions in the uh, upcoming uh, legislative calendar?
1: I think they're going to be enacted. Uh, I think they're going to uh, I think in this first year. Uh, of the new administration and the new composition of the Senate, I think there's a strong likelihood that early voting will be passed, and the process to begin same-day registration will be passed, and no-fault absentee ballot will be passed.
0: Well, great. Well, but I
1: think the key to, I think the key to, to the early voting, though, is that the state fund the cost of early voting for counties, because I think there'll be a lot of resistance uh, from the counties. And that resistance will be made known to their state representatives, to the state legislature, their representatives from each county if there's no funding.
0: Right. And uh, obviously, the key to all of this is uh, that it be properly funded. Um, And, uh, you know, whether we have early voting or some of the other provisions to increase voter registration, all of it, uh, there's a cost to all of it, naturally. But uh, the cost, I think, is uh, minimal when we have uh, increased uh, voter engagement and increased awareness of our citizens about uh, elections and the issues that are uh, encompassed by them. So, John, Nona, thank you very much for your time and for being here to enlighten us on Miranda Warnings. We have a feature called Movie Book or Music where you can share Uh, Any sort of uh, artistic performance that uh, you might like with our listeners?
1: Well, a movie I've seen twice and enjoyed very much is The Green Book. The Green Green Book was an actual book that was published in the 40s, 50s, and I think into the 60s, at least the early 60s, which told African-Americans where they could find a hotel or a restaurant or some other commercial establishment that they'd be allowed in and actually it covered not only the South, but the North as well. But the story is based, the movie is based upon a true story that um, took place in the early sixties, where Don Shirley, a well-known pianist, um, classically trained in, in Russia and very uh, sophisticated, uh, was going to do a tour down South. Uh, he was not afraid to go down South and show Southerners that you could have an African-American who was a talented pianist, classical pianist, uh, but he wanted a, needed a driver and he needed someone to basically help him if he ran into racial issues down south. So he hires this Italian-American bouncer from the Bronx named Tony Villalonga, who was a bouncer at the Copacabana nightclub in New York, and it's about their trip down south and how they kind of rescue each other from some of the problems they ran into. Uh, discriminatory and racial problems. Uh, it's a great movie, it's got some interesting scenes in it. Uh, I recommend it very highly. It has great acting. Marsha Ali plays Don Shirley, and Vigo Mortensen plays Tony uh, uh, Vill- Villanonga. And they actually became friends for the rest of their lives, they lived into their 80s and died about five years ago or six years ago. And remained friends. Uh, Don Shirley remained a a very well-known pianist. You can find his recordings uh, through iTunes. Uh, And Tony Villa Villa Longa, interestingly enough, became an actor and was on The Sopranos and in The Godfather. But I highly recommend the movie. It's very well done. um,
0: Okay, great. Thank you, John. Don Shirley in the Green Book, Uh, we'll look for it. And John Nona, thank you once again for talking to us about uh, voter participation.
1: Good, and thank you for asking me to join you on your podcast, and good luck on future podcasts.
0: Great. Take care. Thank you, John. Bye. This has been the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't.